Welcome to Poetry Lectures, featuring talks by poets, scholars, and educators, presented by PoetryFoundation.org. The Star by My Head is a bilingual anthology of eight Swedish poets, including Nobel Prize winner Thomas Tranströmer. In this program, we'll listen to a conversation between the book's two co-editors and translators, Malena Morling and Jonas Ellerström. Malena Morling grew up in southern Sweden. She studied at Hampshire College, New York University, and the University of Iowa. Merling is the author of two books of poetry and is on the faculty of New England College and the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. She lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Jonas Ellström is a writer, translator, critic, and publisher. He studied literature at Lunds University. He was involved with Malmo Poetry Days, has served as moderator at literary events, and was editor for the Swedish Translator's Lexicon. Ellerström lives in Stockholm. Malena Merling and Jonas Ellerström discuss the history and current state of poetry in Sweden, the challenges of translation, and how sound carries meaning in poetry. And they read some poems in both Swedish and English from The Star by My Head. This conversation took place at the Poetry Foundation in Chicago in October 2015. This is not the first time that Malena and I have worked together, you can enumerate the things that we've done. Yes, we've we've worked on several projects together. We have co-translated a book of poems by Philip Levine into Swedish, 1933. We have uh, translated uh, a full collection of poems by Edith Södergran into English, and we have also translated a couple of chapbooks by Thomas Tranströmer. Tranströmer, of course, was the Nobel Prize winner of literature in 2011 and uh, may well be the most well-known Swedish poet the world over. He passed away this spring and uh, Malena and I, who are personal friends of him, uh, both mourn him but uh, are very, very certain that uh, he lives on in what he has written. Uh, and he will live on uh, in America uh, as represented in a large anthology that Malena and I have edited in Trinity University Press series, The Writer's World. Uh, it's called Swedish Writers on Writing and will feature quite a few hitherto unpublished pieces by Thomas Tranström. Yes, and uh, today... We'll talk a little bit about the act of translating poetry. And since we're on the topic of Thomas um, Tranströmer, you know, the question is when one, you know, sets out to do a collection or any kind of translation work, the question is, what is a poem? How do you translate poetry? Thomas Tranströmer did a fair amount of translation himself into Swedish of various poets. And in the introduction to, to that particular uh, collected translations, he, he says, a poem is a manifestation of an invisible poem that exists beyond the conventional languages. Therefore, a translation of a poem into a new language is an opportunity to attempt to realize the original invisible poem. And um, in this regard, you know, poems are not Static, they are ever-changing um, as they travel from language to language. And in a sense, you could almost say that, you know, a poem is alive as long as it's being translated. 
and this uh, I think very deeply felt and deeply thought definition by Transformer also liberates the translator of uh, the accusation and maybe the self-accusation of shaping an inferior version of the poem. Instead, we are, what we have done, having been liberated by those words of Transdramas, is that we have done equally valid versions of the original poem, which is not Transdramas' original Swedish poem, but the poem that lies at the back of that, the Ur poem. And uh, I will give you an example of how two versions of this same poetic vision may sound. The poems in this translation, in this volume, it has to be said, they are, they are true co-translations. But in all fairness, uh, this first stanza from a poem by Thomas Transdömer is, to a very, very large extent, is Malena's translation. Uh, therefore, I feel very, very free to praise it. I'll read just the first stanza, four lines, uh, out of a poem that is called From July 1990. And listen to both the sound and the rhythm. And be aware that there is a fundamental difference between Swedish and both British and American English. That is the difference between the open vowels of the Swedish language and the closed, mostly closed vowels of both the British and American English. So at this table, at the Poetry Foundation in Chicago, we are Malena and Jonas. At another table, at uh, a dinner table in Stockholm, we would be Malena and Jonas. You hear the difference, and you'll hear it even more accurately as I read these four lines. The sounds and the rhythm, the meaning is not that important in this instance. In Swedish first. Det var en begravning. Jag kände att den döde läste mina tankar bättre än jag själv. It was a funeral, and I felt that the dead man read my thoughts better than I could. I do think that these audible examples, these auditive examples of a stanza from a transformer poem will tell you, if you listen to them closely, that this is truly the same poem. I think it was um, Borges who said, you know, that uh, words are not the substance of poetry, that emotion is the substance. And, and also he defined poetry as intonation, as a particular intonation. And I think that translating, uh, at least for myself, it is that it's trying to replicate or an analogous intonation that somehow echoes the original, if you will, in the original language, intonation of a poem. I could give you some hard facts as to how what the anthology contains. It is called The Star by My Head. The title grew out of a line of Gunnar Ekelöv's. It's subtitled Poets from Sweden. It contains the work of eight separate distinguished poets 
we chose four contemporary classics from the 20th century. And uh, for, let's call that four modern classics out of the 20th century and four contemporary poets, four women, four men, thereby aiming to present a good picture of Swedish poetry, uh, of the tradition that began in the early 20th century when modernism, actually by way of Germany and Russia and Finland, entered Swedish poetry. And the end of that century, uh, even though, of course, it trickles over into the 21st century. And we wanted to concentrate on these eight poets so as to give them enough space to let each poet's voice become truly audible. Yes, and we, we begin with um, Edith Södergran, who lived at the turn of the century. She was a Finland-Swedish poet, and she was probably the first Scandinavian modernist. Of course, in the very beginning, uh, when she was very young, she wrote in form, but then started writing, and she also actually started writing poetry in German, and then I think wrote a couple of poem, poems in Russian, and I think French as well, I'm not sure. So, anyways, when she started writing in Swedish, finally, that's when her work sort of broke out into free verse and you know had this kind of like wilder ragged passionate form and uh, i would like to read one of her poems now uh, and it's an ars poetica as i said she was a extraordinarily passionate poet and a visionary of sorts and and an incredibly intense she died very young uh, at the age of 31 she had tur- tuberculosis and of course that the knowledge that she was not going to possibly live very long, uh, I think, intensified everything in her life. And uh, I love this particular poem because it, it not only uh, it's about writing, but um, it's about the wildness of the possibility of poetry. It's called Decision. I'm a remarkably mature person, but no one knows me. My friends create a false image of me. I'm not tame. I have weighed tameness in my eagle claws and know it well. Oh, eagle, what sweetness in your wings flight. Will you stay silent like everything? Would you perhaps like to write? You will never write again. Every poem shall be the tearing up of a poem, not a poem, but claw marks. And it's that sort of refusal of settling at a definition of what poetry is. And it's that, that kind of reminds me again almost about, of the, the quote from Tronsturmer about the invisible poem and, and the idea that poetry must always reinvent what it is which reminds me of, of a 16th century Japanese poet, Ryokan, who said, Who says my poems are poems? My poems are not poems. When you understand that my poems are not poems, we can begin to discuss poetry. To give uh, the American listeners some sense of 
the history of Swedish poetry and what might possibly characterize at large um, at least the main currents of it, I could uh, I would like to read another Sodagon poem once again. And uh, this is because it, it also has to do with stars. It, it's, uh, it plays well along the title of the book. And it is a good example of both of what a translation can achieve and also, I think, of some main characteristics of Swedish poetry. Uh, Malena mentioned that Sörgan was born in Swedish-speaking Finland and uh, there is a small Swedish-speaking minority in Finland which was in fact uh, a Swedish province up until 1809 and then Russian up until 1917. Sörgan was uh, a citizen of Russia as she made her debut in 1916. Uh, This was one of the poems in that book. It's called The Stars. In Swedish first. Stjärnorna. När natten kommer står jag på trappan och lyssnar. Stjärnorna svärmar i trädgården och jag står i mörkret. Hör, en stjärna föll med en klang. Gick ut i gräset med bara fötter. Min trädgård är full av skärvor. The Stars. As night arrives, I stand on the steps and listen. The stars are swarming in the garden, and I stand in darkness. Did you hear? A star fell with a clang. Don't walk barefoot in the grass. My garden is full of shards. I think this is almost an archetypal situation for a Scandinavian poem. The lone figure standing at the boundary of outside and inside she's standing on the steps of the house so she is between human culture and untamed nature and counterpointing her position on earth is the night sky and the stars and in the third line from the end a star falls it creates a sound it's it's very much like Bachot's famous frog jumping into the pond this is the sound that makes the poem happen. And this is a connection between sky and ground, between human being and star. It is perhaps an omen, and it's a connection between man and nature, man and the universe. You cannot be entirely sure that this is a positive connection as the last line says, my garden is full of shards. So the star has splintered against the earth and made it dangerous to walk barefoot in the grass of the garden. This metaphysical relation is one I think that you can find in very, very much of Swedish modern poetry. It is certainly a presence that is felt in Thomas Transtom's poems. And if you listened intently, you would hear also, of course, that the star, Sjärna in Swedish, turns into shards, Sjärvor in Swedish. So there is a very, very keen observation of language as well. 
uh, actually here, Södergan predates poems that, that would be written 90 to 100 years after this in her observation of the sounds, the textures of language, incorporating those, making them meaningful within this absolutely remarkable seven-line poem. Of course, poetry is made of words. A poem is not its words, you know, and a poem is, unlike a math problem, more than the sum of its parts. But it's not its words, yet it is its words and its silences combined. And um, I know that the poem you read, Jonas, has that clang. <laughs> and uh, I just thought I would now read a poem by Gunnar Ekelöv, who, who perhaps is the... One, maybe the second uh, modernist. I think his debut collection came out in 1932. 30, 32, yes. 32, and it's called Late on Earth. And uh, I would like to read uh, the first poem in that book. And in a sense, you can say also that, you know, he was a groundbreaking surrealist in Sweden. Sweden and, and to me, you know, a, a, a mystic. So anyways, uh, I will read this. It's untitled. The flowers are sleeping in the window and the lamp is staring light. And the window stares thoughtlessly into the dark. The paintings soullessly show their entrusted content. And the flies are standing still on the walls and thinking. The flowers are leaning toward the night. And the lamp is spinning light. In the corner, the cat spins yarns of wool to sleep with. On the stove, from time to time, the coffee pot is snoring with comfort. And the children play quietly with words on the floor. Set with a white cloth, the table is waiting for someone whose steps will never come up the stairs. A train that pierces the silence in the distance does not reveal the secret of things, but fate is counting the strokes of the clock with decimals. And Jonas, you mentioned that sort of the, the cosmic perspective that, you know, is often present in many of these poems that we selected for this book. I'm thinking of the poem sung by Ekelöv as well. Would you like to read it? I would, yes, because it's a beautiful poem and it's another poem about stars. Uh, I would like to add some words, however, on the poem that you've just chosen to read, uh, which is a favourite of mine. It was written in 1932 or possibly at its earliest in autumn 1931. Gunnar Ekelev had been to Paris and London in 1927-1928 while he was still a rich young man before his inheritance, before he squandered his inheritance and his stocks lost all their value in the stock market crash of 1929. That's what made him a poet for which we should be grateful. If you listened closely to, to Malena's reading, you would have heard that as a member of the audience in Minneapolis uh, last night told us there is a surprise in every line. The things 
do not do what they are supposed to do. The flowers are sleeping, the coffee pot is snoring, etc. This was Ekelev's very personal take on French surrealism, which he knew very well, uh, having been to Paris reading the literary journals only three years after the first Surrealist Manifesto was published. But what happens here is what has happened time and time again in Swedish poetry, that foreign influences, they arrive a bit late. On the other hand, they are nearly always turned into something much more specifically Swedish. The delay, uh, which may seem like a phenomenon that would be typical of a country that is situated on the very margin of Europe, that, that is it's a bit of backwater country, really. But what happens is, is that these influences get, they get naturally adapted into the greater tradition of Swedish poetry. I think this poem is an absolutely beautiful example of a surrealism adapted to a specific sensibility and a phrase, a wonderful phrase like the children play quietly with words on the floor contains a melancholy that you'd never find in the works of Benjamin Perret or André Breton. So things happen as influences, and Sweden has always been wide open to influences. Influences can be contemporary, and they can, of course, come from other, other time zones, other ages as well. Eklo is a remarkably versatile poet, I think. I would be hard-pressed to, to think of an equivalent either in England or the United States uh, of uh, the many directions that his work took between 1932 and 1968 when he died. Uh, this is, to some extent, uh, this is a Chinese poem by Gunnar Ekelov. It's named after a Chinese cultural period, rich in poetry, rich in ceramics and pottery, Sung. Ekelov creates, in two short stanzas, a motif or, or filled with an emotional motif, very very clear, very precise, uh, very undramatic. So this is Chinese poetry married to Swedish sensibility. I think uh, the translation will, will suffice very well. Sung. The night tonight is a starry, clear one. The air is clean and cold. The moon is searching in all things for its lost inheritance. A window, a blooming branch, and that's enough. No flowers without earth, no earth without space, no space without something blooming. Yes, um, I will, I think, move on to read uh, a Transdermer poem. Um, I started translating uh, Transdermer when I was in graduate school and published a handful of my translations in For the Living and the Dead. came out in 1995 and, and then again began to translate him a number of years ago. And um, I would like to read a poem called Secrets on the Way, which is also the title of one of his earlier collections. Daylight struck the face of one who slept. He received a livelier dream 
but did not wake. Darkness struck the face of one who walked among the others in the sun's strong, impatient rays. Suddenly it turned dark as in a downpour. I stood in a room that held every moment, a butterfly museum, and still the sun is as strong as before, its impatient brushes painted the world. And of course, Thomas Transformer was you know, a master of metaphor. You see it illustrated in this poem with the metaphor of the butterfly museum. And um, I will read one more Transformer poem. I'll read the one that one that's called April in Silence. Spring lies deserted. The dark velvet ditch creeps by my side, not reflecting anything. All that shines are yellow flowers. I'm carried in my shadow like a violin in its black case. All I want to say gleams out of reach, like the silver in a pawn shop. We were asked the other night, uh, we've done presentations and readings in the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C., and uh, at the Open Book Cultural Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And we were asked uh, by a member of the audience if there were Swedish poets who spoke out in a more dramatic voice, who, in uh, this man's metaphor, I think, uh, played on all the keys of the piano. And uh, I politely, I hope, advised him to, to listen a bit more closely to Thomas Tranströmer, who has somewhat unfairly received the reputation of, of being a, a poet of balance, of uh, exact observation, of meticulous metaphors. There is a lot of drama going on both on and certainly below the surface in his poems. You have to remember that this was a man who, as a psychiatrist, worked with juvenile delinquents for a long time of his life and who certainly observes the drama of human existence in himself as well as in his fellow human beings. But he will not adopt the voice of an Allen Ginsberg, for example, simply because... It does not suit him. Uh, you should not confuse the equilibrium of the formal equilibrium of a transformer poem and think that it is devoid of intense drama. I just wanted to say one of the reasons that transformer is so loved around the world and translated into so many languages, I believe, is possibly the depth that is found in his poems that rise up to meet the words. I, I think perhaps that is again, then again, maybe that invisible poem that everyone on this planet knows something about. Maybe perhaps that's what, why his work resonates on a global scale. And it is true, you know, the drama that you, you mentioned, Jonas, 
is, you know, the, the layers of the drama or the intensity of what occurs in a transformer poem is by no means tame. <laughs> it is, it's, it's really complex and alive, but often said with very simple words in a direct manner. And that's, you know, what makes him so remarkable. Swedish poetical tradition is, it's old. It uh, dates from, from uh, the late 16th century. It's also a remarkably rich tradition. And uh, it has been remembered that there are nine million inhabitants of Sweden, which is a very, very small amount of people. And it is a country that is removed from the main hubs of commerce, of political events, etc. I do think that has been a strength to Swedish poetry. I would dare to compare the qualities of Swedish poetry, uh, the richness of its tradition, uh, with Irish and Northern Irish poetry, which has also flourished during the 20th century. I think very much on behalf of its being removed from the power centers of New York, Los Angeles, London, etc. There is a lot of integrity to Swedish poetry. And I think we should move on to some of, of the contemporary poets that we have included in the anthology. And I would uh, like to read a poem by another Finland-Swedish poet, Tua Forström. It's obvious that she is a poet of our time, yet I think to a careful listener you will hear the voice of Edith Sertigan speaking through her. I will read one of her poems that is titled, it's a Finnish place name in the title, Karis. The poem is called The Angels of Karis. Walk in much too light shoes in February at the train station in Karis, back and forth smoking. Trains arrive and depart. Tomorrow will be the same. Snow falls lightly, glittering. It falls lightly on their eyelashes. They breathe lightly like aluminum. They know the God-forsaken places. They laugh. Nothing terrifies us more than when they laugh. Nothing terrifies us more than the God-forsaken places and that which is red-rimmed. Once again, here is a connection between the metaphysical, the metaphysical world, the angels, and the human beings. Once again, their presence may not be wholly benign. Yes, and uh, I will read a poem following that, also by Tuva Forström, and it's untitled. Tell me a tale of lies so I dare sleep. Sing me a song of lies so I have the strength to wake. Lie to me and say that I have warmth, that I'm loved, that I'm not afraid. Speak softly of all the summers that remain. Smile at me and say that everything will get better. Otherwise, I won't believe you. These are poems of the 1990s. Our anthology 
begins in 1916 and ends with Bruno Coelho's poems, uh, the most recent of those that we have translated date from 2008. Uh, in all fairness, it has to be said that there are, of course, elements of Swedish poetical tradition that we have left out and also that we have followed it up to a certain point. We make room for another possible collaboration in the future of other translations, other translators to step in and present Swedish postmodern poetry to an American audience. We did a few of those poets uh, in a section for the magazine Poetry International. We did a Swedish section. And there you get some of, of these very recent examples of, of a new poetical style. The, this anthology captures the main tradition of this time period. And I do think that these poets, they suit our voices as translators as well. I think we, we, gl- we have glimpsed those original poems behind the poem. Yes, I think, I think it, it does not represent this uh, time period, but it's, it catches uh, a glimpse of it, for sure. Uh, and, you know, the poems were selected from basically our love for them. Um, and, uh, you know, as Octavia Paz said, that he began translating poetry as an act of love. He said it was nothing if it was not an act of love. I would like to jump to another contemporary Swedish poet, Bruno K. Öyer, who um, also uses surrealism and uh, is, I think, often performs his poems more in Sweden. He's not a quiet reader of his poems, and he has quite a cult following, is that correct? Yes, yes, certainly. I, I also find that his poems do so well as they lay quietly on the page, Of course, hearing a poem read out loud and reading it on the page are two vastly different experiences. And um, I will read a poem called Hold Him There. That's from his recent collection called Black Like Silver. The tile oven stood silent and cold like a queen in her long white gown and guarded reigned over the room with her single brass eye. She saw everything that occurred where the dye had rolled under the couch, that one of the crayons was broken in half, that the purse on the table was thin and nearly empty. She saw and heard everything and never made a face, not even when New Year's Eve's snow or death came to visit. She heard the old wall telephone ring beside the mirror in the hallway, heard the sparrows scratching the windowsill. She heard the black steam engine pull its freight around the room, rattle its way through the evening darkness with its tiny lit eyes raised above the carpet, and in the dream everything was obvious and simple. Without thinking, I had phoned my childhood, 
listen to the dial tones that went through. And when my mom answered, I asked to speak to myself. After a long while, a seven-year-old boy took the receiver and his voice pierced my heart. I asked how it all was. I said I often thought of him and missed him. But I must have interrupted his playing. He seemed both preoccupied and disinterested. Every attempt at conversation was met with an impatient silence. I heard him shift his feet on the linoleum floor. Nothing I said or asked about, nothing I tried to say or explain, could hold him there. That is a beautiful and I think quite Swedish poem, though one who listens to it to Oyer, reading him his collections, will see that he is also something of an heir to the voice of Bob Dylan. I think we should add that we owe a debt of gratitude to, to Ilya Kaminsky, late of the Poetry Foundation of Chicago, who actually got us started by commissioning this Swedish section for Poetry International and then uh, selected uh, this volume to be published in uh, the series Poets in the World. Uh, Milkweed Editions of Minneapolis took care of the publication and the book is now set to go into its third printing. So I do think that that here is uh, a good possibility for an English-speaking audience to hear those stars fall from the sky. That was Jonas Ellerström speaking with Malena Morling. The Star by My Head is a bilingual collection co-edited and co-translated by Malena Morling and Jonas Ellerström. It includes eight of Sweden's most highly regarded poets, with poems that span from early modernism to present day. The Star by My Head was published in 2014 by Milkweed Editions in partnership with the Poetry Foundation. Malena Morling is the author of two books of poetry in English, Ocean Avenue and Astoria. She's also translated into English the poetry of Edith Södergran and Thomas Tranströmer and has translated into Swedish the poetry of American poet Philip Levine. Jonas Ellström writes in Swedish. He has published numerous essays about poetry and two collections of his own poems. He's also translated many volumes of poetry into Swedish, including works by Blake, Rambeau, T.S. Eliot, Dylan Thomas, Sylvia Plath, and Philip Levine. This program was recorded at the Poetry Foundation in Chicago on October 2, 2015, as part of International Poets in Conversation, and was sponsored by the Harriet Monroe Poetry Institute. You can learn more about the world of poetry by visiting poetryfoundation.org, where you'll also find articles by and about poets, an online archive of more than 13,000 poems, the Harriet blog about poetry, the complete back issues of Poetry Magazine, and other audio programs to download. I'm Ed Herman. Thanks for listening to Poetry Lectures from poetryfoundation.org.